Welcome everyone to God Talk Uncensored, where no topic is off limits. We use the Bible as a source of truth, and everything we share is from our personal experiences and the Bible. All right, let's do this. Well, good morning. I am not your pastor. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, I, 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 I look at Pastor, uh, you know, Brent, and we have the same facial hair structure. I don't know. I, I was looking at that and going, you know, he's a handsome guy. You know? <laughs> so. But uh, I, I'm really grateful to have been asked to, uh, to, to speak uh, in front of you guys. And um, you know that we're on this series, the I Am series. And the I Am series is all the statements that Jesus made about who he was, about himself. So we had I am the resurrection and the life. Last week it was I am the door. I learned something that I didn't know before. Uh, modern culture, farming, there's literally a gate, right? Like the sheep don't get out because there's a gate. But what I learned was that there, the shepherd was actually the door. He was actually the gate and laid right in front of the, the area that the sheep would corral in usually around some bushes and rocks and stuff like that. So I thought that was amazing. I'm tasked uh, or have been asked to speak on, uh, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. We're going to, uh, we're going to get there, right? John chapter 10, we're going to get there, but I want to take us on a little bit of a journey. And this journey is going to... Um, encompassed a few thousand years, so I'm going to try to do this in a few minutes, right? Uh, I did this run through twice. One time it took 30 minutes, and one time it took 53 minutes, so let's, <laughs> let's just see where we land, right? You know, so, so my kids are like, no, not the 53 minutes, please, no. Uh, anyways, <laughs> here's the big question. What do we want from God? What do we want? It's good. Out of relationship, what, what is it that you want from God? You see, I think oftentimes we want God to just make our life better and good. Um, I look sometimes at uh, culture and, and areas of Christianity. I think grading on a curve. Our church is amazing. But imagine for a second that we use um, God as like a divine vending machine where, where we, we, we deposit the appropriate amount of works, we deposit the appropriate amount of, of coinage, and then we just get to press D16 and the thing spins and drops out. And so we look at God as if we just do the thing and whatever the thing is, that he's going to just show up in the way that we've asked him to be or to show up. Or how about a divine backpack? We get to take God on our journey, and when we need him, We'll sit down and we'll open the backpack and we'll grab all the stuff that we might need in order to suit the journey that we're on. Most, most of us, I'm going to include myself because I'm just like everybody, right? Most of us sort of do this. And I, I think if we really examine ourselves, we'll realize like we really want God to just join us on our adventure, 
We want God to show up in the way that suits our needs the best. Now, that's a transactional relationship. That's one that basically says, like, I'm going to do all of these things because I know that in return, this is the stuff that you're going to then do for me. And, and so this transactional relationship can become very uh, non-relational and very religious. Now, remember something that, that God in the very beginning, he created us in his image. He exists eternally as three in relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Eve, eternally in this, in this love relationship with, with, with all the Godhead. And he created us very similarly. He created us to be in relationship with him and in relationship with others. And, and we are body, soul, and spirit. And so there's this combination of what God has in us that is a part of what he is. And so originally what he did was he created us to be in relationship with him. He said he wanted to walk with us in the garden in the cool of the day. I imagine it's hand in hand, holding hands. God just, 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 just loving us, caring for us, wanting to engage and be, um, be with us. Now, we really blew that one, didn't we? <laughs> I mean, in the garden, we decided that we weren't going to trust God, and we went ahead and, and, and partook of the, the fruit because the enemy basically said, hey, uh, God's holding out on you. There's actually more in store for you than God is actually leading on. And if you do this other thing, it's going to provide for you in ways that God is not providing for you already. And that's the fall. God didn't stop there, though. He didn't stop there for one second. He made a provision and a way for, for him to continue to pursue us in relationship. And we know historically that God decided to choose a particular family to show the world what his covenant relationship was going to look like throughout the entirety of history, and he chose Abraham. And as the prophecy goes, from the seed of Abraham would come and bless the entire world. Now, Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons. And these 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't write this story about, like, if you did, like, a family biography of your family, you might want to omit a lot of the stories that are in, like, the Bible. I'm just throwing that out there, right? You're like, like the whole Joseph and like, let's just kill him because we're jealous and then we'll sell him into slavery and then, and then Judah and Tamar. I mean, you just, you know, those of you who know the word know what I'm talking about. You would just probably not put a lot of this stuff in the word because it is, <laughs> um, it's dirty. Dirty in the sense that raw and real and true. But God put that in there for a reason. We made, he made sure that we saw everything that was involved in the relationship that he was having with this people group, no matter how ugly it actually was. So you've got, you've got uh, the Israelites at this point are living in Canaan. They're living in the promised land, mind you, okay? Now there's a famine in the land and, and the, the, the brother that they sold into slavery just so happened to, to rise up to power. And they were, they were told by God to go and be rescued and go to Egypt. So they go to Egypt, 
right? And the Pharaoh says, you can have the best land. So they have the land of Goshen, right? So here's what I find interesting. So after, after the famine was over, they didn't go back. I don't know if anybody ever paid attention. They didn't go back. They were in the promised land. They left the promised land because God said to leave. But when the famine was over, they, they didn't go back. So they stayed. And they stayed long enough that where they got blessed and they increased in number and a new Pharaoh shows up and says, I don't really like what's going on over here and enslaves the people. So for 400 years, the, the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites and they finally were like, okay, we're gonna cry out to that God that we were told about, that we used to maybe have a relationship with, that we used to know, we're gonna cry out to him. And so God says that I've heard my people's cry. And so he sends Moses. Now, Moses is an archetype of Christ. Moses comes and rescues them from their bondage, from their slavery, and he, he takes them out. He takes them out of Egypt on the way to the promised land. But we know the story. Grumbling and complaining, and I don't have enough food, and we used to sit around pots of this and that, and why, you know. So 40 years, grumbling, complaining, those people died, but God still had a plan for relationship, and he wanted to, he, he wanted to bless his people. He so desperately wanted to be a part of their life and bless his people that, that he finally took them to the promised land. And he puts forth some guidelines. He was like, you know, I've got this relationship thing, but like, just like in a, in a, in a, in a marriage, like you've got to be in this committed sort of way. And this is what it kind of looks like to follow me, right? So they get into the promised land and for 450 years through the time of the judges, okay, 450 years, God would bless them and they would take the blessings and they would turn away from God. They would cry out to God, oh, help us, we're being oppressed. He would bless them. They would take the blessings and then they would turn away from God. They would adopt all the stuff of the cultures around them. They, they, they wanted to look like everybody else. They wanted to do the things of everybody else. They wanted their identity as, as Hebrews but they also wanted to do all the other stuff that was happening within the cultures around them. Now, eventually, uh, you get to the very last uh, judge. And the very last judge was Samuel. Now, Samuel was a, a powerful man of God. But at this point, Samuel was getting older. And the people came to Samuel and they said to him, right, uh, appoint us a king. Now, remember, like, God wanted to be their king. God didn't want his relationship with his people to look like the culture of every other people group around. The adoption of their, of their gods, the, the, the way that they thought and felt and lived life. No, he wanted to be their God. And he set people like the judges in a position to where when there was a dispute, when there was some problem of some sort, these judges would, would navigate through some of these troublesome areas, but he wanted to be he wanted to be their king. So Samuel didn't like that. But the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king 
over them. So as the story goes, Samuel then, uh, Samuel then appoints and anoints King Saul, who looked the part. He was handsome. He was a head taller than everybody else. He looked the part, but he wasn't a good king. As a matter of fact, he was a demon-possessed king, if you read the story, right? You know the story of King and David, so eventually uh, he is then succeeded by David. David was told to be uh, a man after God's own heart. David was a king that, that, that God was just enamored with. But read the story of David. He's a pretty flawed dude. You know what I mean? Like, he did a lot of stuff that was just not okay. But, but, but God wanted to be in relationship. And so David was a man after his heart. And so God, they, they wrestled through this like any relationship would have these bumps and curves and, and trials and problems. David then has a son, Solomon, Right? Now, King Solomon was super wise, but what did he do? He adopted all of the cultures and the, and the gods and the, and, the, and the stuff around him. He went ahead and, and, and took on um, all these, these, these wives, and he ended up doing really stupid stuff. And in the end, when you read Ecclesiastes, he didn't sound like he ended life very well. Started well, didn't really end well. Somebody who just felt like it's all meaningless. You see what happens after, after uh, 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 he passes away. There's a rift in the kingdoms, right? So you have the northern kingdom splits, and then you have the southern kingdom. I know I'm taking you through a lot of history, but there's a purpose in this, right? You've got the northern kingdom takes off, and they split. Uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and they, they end up splitting. You've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And what, what ends up happening is, the northern kingdom, Israel, never had a good king. They, every single one of their kings was, was just, they were trash. They just, they were no good. Like they just did everything wrong all the stinking time and they were no good. But in Judah, rise and fall, rise and fall. They would have a good king. The people would repent. They would get blessed. And then another king would start adopting the culture. The paganism, the, the idolatry, the practices of the cultures around them. And then they would fall. Then they would cry out and they would fall, and they would rise, and they would fall. I just thought of something. The northern kingdom, you remember the golden calf? Moses is gone, right? Golden calf. So the golden calf situation, ironically, the name of God is Yahweh, okay? When they finished making this golden calf, they said, let us have a festival unto the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. They literally made an image of God, what they thought was Yahweh, this golden calf. And they says, we're going to worship the true God, but we're going to make him look like what we want him to look like. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Adopting all of the stuff and the cultures around them. Well, eventually what happened was they got taken into captivity, right? They rose and fell so many times, they got taken into captivity. They were allowed after 70 years to come back from that captivity. And from that point forward, they never again, until today, had national sovereignty. They were never a self-governing people again. 
They were always under the rule or the thumb of another, of another uh, power. Whether it was the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, later became the Romans. And through this process, there was a silent period, okay? There was a 400-year period where, where we know from the last book in the Old Testament that God was like, the next thing big that's coming is the Messiah. And so we're, we're not, we're not going to have any, any more prophets until the final Messiah shows up. So 160 years before, before Jesus was a formulation of the Pharisees, okay? The Pharisees get a bad rap. Uh, we know that the only people that Jesus was ever upset with while he was on earth were, were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? But like any organization, it may start out with the greatest intentions and, and be really, really good. And then eventually, over time, it ends up not being the, the way it was originally designed to be. And this is the Pharisees. They were like, okay, our people have for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years rose and fell, rose and fell. And why did they do that? Because of idolatry, because of adopting the cultures around them. So the Pharisees were like, we're going to make sure that that never happens again. We're going to make sure that, that our people are always going to be following to the letter of the law everything that God said he wanted for the people to follow. And so what happened was they created a system, right? And this system was called the Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah was additional man-made laws in order to follow the law, all right? So we had what would be considered the, 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 the stand, there were 613 laws in the Old Testament. That's a boatload of laws. Like, if you could just try to imagine, like, that's how many laws I'm supposed to follow. Like, I'm always going to step out of line in some way. Now, the majority of those laws, by the way, were, were um, Levitical laws. So they were about the priesthood, and they were all about the, the, um, the way that they were supposed to operate within their sacrifice and worship and stuff like that. But a lot of these other laws were not. Uh, just for them. They were for, for everybody. We know that the primary laws were the Ten Commandments, and, and everybody could, could grasp that. As a matter of fact, I look at the Ten Commandments uh, as a pretty big deal because those were the only ones specifically that God scribed with his own finger. He scribed with his own name. And so I, I want to I just take you for a second through the Ten Commandments. And I want you, this is my, my interpretation. I think I'm right, but hey, that's because I'm me, right? So, but here's my interpretation of the Ten Commandments. God's like, this is how you operate with me. This is how you operate with others. And this is how you have an internal relationship. And so he said, you shall not have any other gods before me. Pretty basic, like anybody that's married, like it's probably an exclusive sort of deal. You know, you're not gonna share. That's the thing. It's a singularity relationship, so that's pretty straightforward. Um, don't make any idols. Well, we know what that means. Like, just don't have a, a, an engraved image of something like the northern kingdom actually did, by the way. They had a golden calf at the entrance of the kingdom, and then they had at the exit of the kingdom another golden calf. So you knew when you got there that you were entering this false god state of what they think thought was the Lord, which is bizarre, Right? So don't do that. He says then, you shall not uh, take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Most of us were taught, religiously speaking, don't ever say 
GD. Like, that's what that meant, right? When you really look at the nuance of what's being communicated there, what God is actually saying is, don't say stuff about me. Don't, don't take my name and associate me with things that are inconsistent with who I am in my character. I don't ever want you to do that. I don't want you to take the stuff that you know is true about who I am and pervert that in a way to other people or to, or, or to your own people in a way that would be inconsistent with who I am. Then you've got the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and then he paused and he rested. And so he doesn't want us to work all the time. He wants us to be able to have that extra time. And then you've got, of course, um, honor your father and mother. They love you. They take care of you. They've wiped your nose and other things while you were, while when you were a baby. Honor your father and mother. They might know more than you. Just throwing it out there. Like your parents actually might know some stuff. Like just give them the honor, the, the, the respect. Let's do that, okay? Don't murder, pretty basic, right? Don't commit adultery, obviously. Uh, you shouldn't steal. You shouldn't bear false witness against your neighbor. That's not just lying we hear or do not lie. No, don't, don't, don't paint a picture about somebody else in some gossiping sort of way that would make other people look at them or see them in a light that isn't consistent with, with what's true. It would be lying, sure. And uh, you shall not covet. Look, God has given you everything that you need. And when you desire stuff that you don't already have, you're saying that God isn't showing up in your life. So don't look at other people's stuff. Don't look at other people's riches or whatever the, th the things are and, and believe that if you had that somehow, you would be feeling more fulfilled. All right. Thank you everyone for tuning in to God Talk Uncensored. We appreciate your support. And until next time, God bless you.